This episode of Innovations in Education is brought to you by Adobe Sign. Adobe Sign helps schools go paperless, which revolutionizes the business of running an institution. Use Adobe Sign to create seamless workflows that are simple for staff and students to complete and can save your school both time and money. Reduce errors, increase security and compliance, and foster operational resiliency. From HR, finance, and procurement forms to student-facing forms like IEPs and device consent forms, paperless workflows powered by Adobe Sign create digital experiences in schools that make life a little easier for the entire campus community. Okay, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of Innovations in Education in Higher Ed, the eCampus News podcast on the latest and greatest in ed tech on college campuses. My name is Kevin Hogan. I am the editor-at-large for eCampus, and I'm glad you found us today. In each episode, we aim to highlight some of the best content that eCampus has posted over the past few weeks, from op-ed essays to white papers and data dumps to interviews and webinars. Consider this a cheat sheet to the insights and issues that are at the top of the agenda for executives such as you. And while COVID obviously remains front and center, when it comes to managing campuses and their information services, the threat of cybersecurity is also more important than ever. Since 2016, over 4,000 ransomware attacks have happened daily in the U.S. Reports of attacks in the higher ed sector alone are up 600%. So if you also look at the amount of news and insight recently posted to eCampus, it reflects what a pressing issue this is. Uh, one really interesting piece that was recently posted was written by Paul Kohler, who's Chief Technology Officer at Strategic Security Solutions. He offers three tips to help you prioritize cybersecurity in your institution. These three points include, number one, train faculty and students, not just now, but frequently. He says, new threats and attack vectors are constantly being introduced into the wild, and it's imperative that students and faculty are aware of the various types of threats. Cybersecurity training is a constant and it should be performed regularly for faculty, students, employees, and third parties who have access to university or college resources. Number two, he talks about investing in the future and your data. He writes, the likelihood of a breach is nearly 100%, and it is no longer a matter of if, but a matter of when a breach will occur. There are some relatively simple tactics that can prevent that next breach. For example, multi-factor authentication is one option, and while it does not prevent all breaches and is not foolproof, it could stop 99.9% of them. Point number three, reprioritize and reorganize. He says that only about 42% of higher education institutions have a chief information security officer, which is a minuscule number considering that 2020 marked a record year for cyber attacks against schools. It's critical that colleges and universities see the benefits that a leader in data and security can have within an organization. This advice resonates with a recent conversation I had with Rivka Tadjik, a cybersecurity consultant who works with a number of organizations, including the K-12 Security Information Exchange, a new national nonprofit dedicated solely to helping to protect public and private schools from cybersecurity threats. In this snippet, she not only scared my pants off when it comes to the ways that hackers can get through systems, but also offers some solutions to how to keep them at bay. Have a listen. 
is there, is there a way to rank those? I mean, is there something that, that is like the number one threat right now that used from your perspective, malware? Malware, because A, you can hold someone for ransom. And I promise you, if you pay the ransom, you're not guaranteed that anything good will happen, right? Yeah. Um, but malware, because you can take the reins of a system. That's what malware was designed to do, not just to bring a system down, but to take the reins. And the number one backdoor to ransomware and malware is account takeover. And account takeover happens when someone takes your email and goes and has fun with it. All right, because then they and people say, oh, well, the IP address and then you can change, but you can track IP addresses across emails. The number one reason they should not be letting my daughter use both her Gmail and the Pratt EDU. OK, because it's a confluence of data. Mm. You need highly individualized hierarchical access control. And by the way, this is the same at the White House. It is the same in critical infrastructure. And I think our, our universities are part of critical infrastructure. You need access control and it is the biggest problem and you need to have it at every step of the way. And all of the two-factor authentication, different things that you have to show, show them both. You know, the students will get used to it. It, it helps them, you know, yeah, I mean, they don't want, they don't want things stolen from them either. And is, is the reason you think that they find that education specifically, but higher education especially, has been attacked more is because it's really been the most vulnerable? I mean, is it kind of behind what you would see in corporate America in terms of the use of your your, your work email versus what you're, you're finding in universities? Or is no. there something else? No. I think that what happens is, is that for everything you steal inside a university, you affect more people. Okay. Mm. So if I steal something for you at work or you're using your work email, who didn't use their work email to go, you know, in the height of COVID when everything was happening to, to research, what is the who saying today was the Red Cross. And of course the hackers built, you know, fake sites. Okay. So they're capturing your data. So they could get to you. They might be able to cross-reference if you take a lot of quizzes online, like what kind of animal would you be? Or like, yeah, what yeah. color are you? Okay, never do that because then I know which Kevin Hogan it is versus the out of a thousand, I start to narrow down. That's what those quizzes are. Those are black hat hackers whittling down people. And if I know which Kevin Hogan you are, then I know who your wife is and your kids are, et cetera, et cetera. But in corporate America, a lot of times it's just, you grab a bunch of the emails from a corporate domain and criminals go use them on the dark web or they, they infiltrate the system or try to steal intellectual property. You're a means to an end and you're not the end. The problem with universities is that I'm going after the student data, okay? And private universities really beware because the parents are paying a lot, okay? Because I want your medical data. I want your parents' finances, okay? And then I'm gonna get you and I'm gonna track you forever because you're an adult. So everything you do now, whether it's with the IRS, whether it's with health insurance, you have to do it by yourself now. So I'm setting up this baseline and now I have you forever. Yeah. Okay. So everything you interact with, so they can just get a lot more. They can harm the university, but they can harm entire families with it. And that they can go back and, and, and harm the high school you came from so that they can get into your, it's just a much nicer spread. You know, it's like, a, um, you know, viruses are smart. Yeah. Right? So these things are smart. They look to reproduce. Well, now that you've got me completely frightened, 
I know this is <laughs> why people never ask me back. Because like, no, way, you scare people. Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit about um, how to defend it. And you know, um, you've already given some some various uh, tips and tricks, but give us some some more strategies in terms of how a net, network administrator maybe they need to increase their budget to add some some new technologies or maybe add some new training or consultants to come in and and change the Definitely. user culture. Go into some some of the ways that you've seen universities successfully improve their their situation. So we have a lot of of the audience members who consider themselves seven out of 10, how do they go to seven to nine or how does everybody well, get some to of it simple? So the good news is aside from being scared, there are, there are many things that you can do that are mostly behavioral on the user end that are not really expensive that, you know, even if you cut down your vulnerability by 30%, that's 30% better. And one of the things I mentioned before, do not send emails to both their Gmail and their EDU. Isolate that email and limit what it's able to do and keep it in your universe, you know, university. You have a a universe, contain it, put the gates around it, right? Have it function there, but don't let it just run rampant. The second thing is that I found very successful is scary emails actually sent to the students because my my daughter has called me with them and I thought it was super smart. There has been, you know, a breach. Please go right now and change your password. You could go one step further and if they don't change their password that day, it stops working. And the minute they don't have access to anything and they're late for class and blah, 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 they'll change their password. Yeah. I would force conditioning and I hope I'm not revealing that I'm this horrible parent that's just out about everything. But honestly, you, you have too many problems. Just force it. This password will no longer work at 2 p.m. today. So if you have a class, go change your password right now. Yeah. And log out to do it and go change it. But these do work. The other thing is texts. Tell them not to open any text if they don't know who it's from. Okay, or any email, because the minute you click on an email, that's it, game over. Even if you delete it afterwards, you can't even click on it because that's the door. They already have everything they need, right? And explain the university will never, except coming from the one, you know, all university have alert systems like for snow days or whatever is going on. Um, You know, the dorm has a plumbing, the elevator's out that. Here is the number that you will be getting alerts from all year. We will never text you from another number ever, right? Because, because actually the students are really smart at that because they're worried, you know, oh my God, did I miss something? Do I have to do something? So they do it because they don't want to miss out and get penalized. So that's a really easy training to do is that is just to say, if it's not from this number, never click on it, but it's those what not to do and what to do instead. And I think when when students know, when adults know, when anyone knows, not just what not to do, but if you have to do something, what do you do instead? Beyond security, the continued COVID crisis continues to twist universities into remote and hybrid strategies in order to keep educating their students. What I call this is the greatest beta test in the history of education. That's the way we've always done it, has turned into, we may as well try it. And as traumatic and disruptive the past 18 months have been to student and teacher experiences on campus, new instructional innovations and techniques have also inspired and improved teaching and learning, whether in person, online, or blended. And that's especially true when it comes to STEM subjects. 
I recently interviewed Dr. Joel Hadley. He is a lecturer in mathematical sciences at the University of Liverpool on how his department has pivoted and innovated during this crazy time. He discovered that there are many new techniques that he intends on keeping going forward. Have a listen. Let's go back and talk a little bit about kind of the day-to-day -day usage and specifically the dynamics of this, the synchronous communication with the students remotely versus asynchronous. Can you kind of give us, uh, Joel, a, a day in the life and how your, your lectures are going versus office hours versus uh, the assignments being brought in and, and, and assessed? Yeah, so it, the, the le we don't have lectures anymore, hmm. uh, at least not in the traditional sense. Um, all of our material is delivered asynchronously now um, under the under the handle. Um, next semester, it's going to be a bit of a, a mixture, some people going back to traditional, some um, hybrid and, and some in the middle. But at the moment, everything's hybrid. And, and what, we've, uh, what we did is we polled our students to see what they liked in, in videos. And the videos that we, we provide now are typically uh, content-driven rather than time-driven. So instead of, I've got three hours, what do I put in those three hours? It's this week, the student's learning this material. So how do I best structure these videos for learning? Um, you also mentioned uh, office hours. So one of the things our students really fed back was to keep uh, remote office hours as an option because an office hour conversation might be 10 minutes, might be 30 minutes, but a student might be traveling 40 minutes for that meeting and then 40 minutes back. Um, so it's very in inclusive practice to, to keep some office hours on online. So we're, we, we are aiming to, to do that. Um, so you mentioned assessment. So we've done something uh, quite interesting in, in Liverpool with assessment. So previously quite a lot of our assessment was um, loaded towards the, the end of the semester. So 80, 90, 100% exams. And what that did is it encouraged students to um, binge learn at the end. So the, the assessment's coming up. Let's cram everything in now. Um, that's not a great idea in general, but especially during a pandemic when that whole week might have to be cancelled. But on all the, the assessments then isn't good. So we, we made a decision that no final is worth more than 50%. And, and another thing we did what was interesting is um, we used to have regular weekly summative assessment. So maybe worth 1%, adding up to 10% with a 90 final. Now all of our, we, we have no assessment worth less than 10%. Hmm. Um, so that means that students aim for quality all the time. They, they aim for understanding during the semester. And then uh, once they've, once that's, developed and and so on we, we have the maybe slightly harder stuff for marks above the threshold at the end so that's um implemented because of a pandemic requirement but the underlying pedagogy is good so it's something that we're we're keeping okay so that about wraps it up for this episode of innovations in education higher ed don't forget there are some exciting new resources just posted up on the site it's important that you visit every week to stay on top of the latest innovations that are happening in the space also remember that eCampus News is always free for educators and always helping the innovative educators just like you. Thanks again for listening. I'm Kevin Hogan. Once again, this episode was brought to you by Adobe Sign. Adobe Sign helps schools go paperless 
which revolutionizes the business of running an institution. Use Adobe Sign to create seamless workflows that are simple for staff and students to complete and can save your school both time and money. Reduce errors, increase security and compliance, and foster operational resiliency. Be sure to join us for our webinar entitled Back Office Innovations Part 2, How to Build Efficiencies and Data Security and Compliance Through Forms Process Automation.